Welcome to episode number 21 of Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you find a career you love, start a business, and generally crush it at life. I'm Justin Gordon, your host and an MBA student in the class of 2020 at the USC Marshall School of Business. I've had my hand in entrepreneurship and business since 2012 when I launched Just Go Fitness and now Just Go Grind. In this episode, we have Austin Belsack, who is the founder of Cultivated Culture, where he teaches people to land jobs they love without connections, without traditional experience, and without applying online. His strategies have been featured in Forbes, Business Insider, and Fast Company, and I've helped people land jobs at Google, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, and many more. We discuss how Austin landed offers at Google, Microsoft, and Twitter, even though he had a 2.5 college GPA. We discuss parameters of a dream job and how you can figure those out just like Austin did to kind of figure out those in his own life. How one of his students, a woman who worked at Airbnb, how she actually got that position. It was a very unique way of landing that, that role at Airbnb. But we also dive into his business, Cultivate Culture, and how he got 60,000 views on one article in 60 days, as well as 500 new email subscribers, and how he grew his traffic to over 70,000 visitors per month. Very impressive. We discuss all of that. As always, the show notes are over at justgogrind.com slash podcast. You can support the show at patreon.com slash justgogrind. And in iTunes, please do subscribe leave a rating and review. I would appreciate it very much. So without further ado, here is this interview with Austin. Austin, welcome to the show. Justin, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on and have to say congrats on getting married recently. That's awesome. <laughs> I appreciate it. It is uh, best day of my life and um, things have just been moving upwards from there. So no, I appreciate the uh, the well wishes. Thank you. Yeah, and you you're working at Microsoft now. You're running Cultivated Culture, this you know successful career site, I would say. But you know, going back to college, because a lot of people don't know what they want to do with their career, they're not sure what path to go on. I'm just curious, in college, what were you thinking you were going to do for a career? Yeah, definitely. Um, so just to give some quick background on what I do now, um, I do work at Microsoft full time in um, sort of a sales role in partnerships. Uh, and then outside of that, I do run Cultivated Culture, like you mentioned, which is basically a site that consolidates all of the learnings I obtained during my job search through experience from other people, et cetera, that kind of allowed me to go from graduating college with a biology degree and a 2.5 GPA, pretty poor, and a, a job in medicine to then transitioning into the world of tech, landing offers at places like Google, Microsoft, Twitter, et cetera. Um, and so basically what I do at Cultivated Culture is I teach people how to land jobs they love and salaries they deserve without traditional experience, um, without any connections and without applying online. So a lot of the folks in the community, it's been around for about two years now, and they've taken those same strategies and gone on to land jobs at Google and Facebook and Twitter and Goldman Sachs, Deloitte, um, the, any of the big consulting groups. And that's all just to name a few. It's really spans across industries at this point. So yeah. yeah, that's kind of where we are now. But to to go back to your question, I love it because college is where this kind of all started for me. <laughs> um, it actually may have started even earlier. So when I was in high school, you know, I, I wanted to be a doctor. That was my 
that was my big goal in life. You know, doctors make a lot of money. They help people. Um, you know, everybody thinks you're this super smart person and, and all those things sounded great to me. So I really structured my college search and um, my curriculum when I first got to college around the pre-med track and getting into med school. But something that changed for me when I got to college was uh, this whole social scene. So I went to boarding school for high school and uh, living on campus, you know, not, not a lot of parties going on, not a lot of social interaction <laughs> outside of like the 400 kids at the school. And right. suddenly you get to college and now there's like all these great looking people and they're like cars that will take you to a party with free beer. And that, uh, that sidetracked me from my, my dreams of being a doctor. And I immediately failed chemistry my first semester. And um, then I went ahead and failed French the, the second semester and dug myself a pretty nice hole GPA wise that um, was going to be hard to dig out of if I wanted to, to go to med school. So I figured that, you know, after after putting in all this time and then seeing it kind of wash away with with a few sips of beer, I, I didn't want to dive back into something immediately and kind of have the same thing happen. Um, I was a little bit vulnerable, if you will. So I kind of took the path of least resistance and coasted through college and maintained my my terrible GPA. And between the summer of junior and senior year, I was uh, I was kind of introduced to this medical device sales company. It was a subsidiary of Johnson & Johnson through my roommate's dad, who was a, a doctor. And I ended up interning with them and I ended up taking the job and uh, they offered me the job before senior year. So that was, you know, that was gravy in my book. I could, I could relax and do nothing. <laughs> senior right. year. Yeah, I was, I was set, right. I had this job lined up, all these other people were interviewing and I was like, God, you guys, you guys don't have it figured out. Like I'm on top of the world over here. But the few things I didn't think about um, were like cost of living and um, you know, how I would manage my finances and how much apartments cost in the city that I was moving to. So I, I leave and um, the salary I was making out of school was about 35,000 bucks, which was not nearly enough to cover my apartment and my car payment and my insurance on the car. And then even just like going out to not even going out to like a fancy meal with friends, but just even going to like the local bar for a beer and some like some wings or something that was that was stressful. So. I, I ended up racking up like $10,000 of credit card debt pretty quickly in just a couple of months, um, just trying to make ends meet. And then on top of that, my job turned out to be pretty awful. So I was, I was basically, um, we would sit in on surgeries and uh, the implants that go into patients who have a knee replacement or hip replacement, we were, our company manufactured them. So we would bring them to the operating room and we'd be present with the doctor to make sure they had the right stuff and all that. And so um, I was like the junior rep. So anytime one of the reps would call in sick, I'd have to be at the hospital at, at say, by, by 6 a.m. basically when surgery started. And our territory is North and South Carolina. So that's those are two, two pretty large states. Yeah, yeah. So I'd basically have to get from Charlotte to uh, you name it. It could be Hilton Head, which is like a three and a half hour drive. It could be Asheville, North Carolina, which was like two and a half. So I'd be up at, um, I'd actually be waking up at, at, uh, at when your alarm goes off at like two, <laughs> three in the morning. Um, but it sounds like you've gotten the hang of it much better than I did. I, I thought it was just miserable. But and you're forced to it a little different. <laughs> what's up? You're, when you're forced to, it's a little bit different when you have to for work. Mine's like voluntary. Like, like I want to work <laughs> on things, slightly different mindset maybe. 
A hundred percent. Um, and, and what you're doing is awesome. I, I'm in, I like to consider myself an early riser, but now, uh, in, in present company here, I don't think I can call myself that, but, um, when you're forced to, to wake up that early is definitely not fun, especially when you have to go drive the whole time. It's, it's, um, there were actually a couple of times where I was like dozing off at the wheel and it just wasn't great. So, and then my boss treated me terribly and the long story short, the whole situation was just not for me. So I figured, um, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to switch careers. And um, I think a lot of people struggle with what they want to do. For me, it was a pretty clear path. Um, I had always been interested in technology and computers and the internet and things like that. And so I graduated from college in 2013. And that's right when like Facebook was really hitting its stride, probably at its peak. They hadn't run into any of the issues they have today. Um, or maybe no, nobody knew about them is probably a better better way to describe yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but companies like Uber were, you know, really up and coming. And so, and Google was the juggernaut that it, that it still is. And so I, I set my sights on those companies and I figured, you know, I spent a ton of money on this college education. Somebody should be willing to give me a chance just based off that degree because that's what everybody had told me. And that just wasn't the case. You know, I applied to, I started by applying to those companies I mentioned before, the Googles, the Microsofts, the Apples of the world, and they straight out rejected me. And then I would go to mid-tier startups and early stage startups and companies that had tech written somewhere on their website. And nobody was really willing to give me a chance um, for a number of reasons. I, I didn't have much professional experience and the experience I did have wasn't in tech. I had a terrible GPA, which is what most college students with little experience are judged on. And um, I didn't have too many extracurriculars and that whole deal. And so I basically had to figure out a, a new way to uh, a new way to to go about this whole process. And I know we have a lot to cover here. So basically to, to keep a, a long story short, essentially what I did was I, instead of seeking advice from the same people I had always sought advice from, my parents, my friends, college counselors, I realized that while those people are all successful in their own right, they haven't done what I wanted to do. They didn't come out of college with a poor GPA and yeah. a degree in medicine and then make this transition to working at Google. And on top of that, a lot of them hadn't been in the job search. Like the people who had been in, in, in a career for a while hadn't applied for a job in like a decade. Um, <laughs> and then the people who like my peers, other students and stuff, they're, they're in an entry level job. So it's not like they are like have it all figured out either. So I, I basically shifted the way I looked at this and I tried to find people who had already accomplished what I wanted to achieve. So I made a list of criteria um, that basically encompassed my dream, what my dream job would look like. So that was working in a major city like LA or New York, um, making over six figures a year, working for a leading tech company like Google or Microsoft. Um, and then the final one was just doing this all before I was 26 because I, I didn't want to wait forever for this to kind of come to fruition. So I went out and I found people who matched those criteria. I used LinkedIn and I would I would start with the cities and the companies they worked at, and then I would use Glassdoor to figure out what their salary was. And I just started reaching out to these people and asking them how they did it. And uh, basically what I learned was that the people who are most successful, who have the most rapid career uh, trajectories or, or paths are thinking outside of the box. They're not playing in the same sandbox of resumes and cover letters that, that everybody else is. They're finding creative ways to add value and they're building relationships with people who can influence the hiring process. 
Right. Um, and so that was kind of a light bulb moment for me. It was, it was a game changer because I'd sent like 300 plus applications at this point and, and hadn't heard back from anyone. And so I was like, I'm, I'm literally willing to try anything. So I started cold emailing people at these, these major companies and I would just work on building relationship with them. I would ask them for some help. I would tell them I was really impressed with their experience. I'd get on the phone with them. And uh, I would basically try to tease out like challenges that their team was having or initiatives they had coming up, uh, personal goals, things like that. And I would use that to build out some sort of deliverable that that showcased my value in relation to the stuff, the information they gave me around challenges, et cetera. And that basically led to a bunch of referrals into companies from people that, you know, a couple months prior, I'd, I'd never met before. Right. And so that was a real game changer for me. And that's exactly how I got my foot in the door with Google and, and Microsoft and Twitter. And um, that process took from, I graduated in 2013 in May and I had my, uh, I had my first job in tech in New York in 2014. And then I ended up getting hired at Microsoft in 2015. So the whole thing was about two years from, from graduating to my first day at Microsoft. Um, But throughout that whole time, I basically took the opportunity to turn the job hunt into a game. Um, So how could like, I was testing cold email subject lines and platforms to outreach on email versus LinkedIn message versus social media. Um, I was testing and tweaking my resume, like AB testing, which sections went where and what information in those sections was most effective. And I basically did this with every facet of the process, like um, down to like the questions you ask your interviewer at the end, what what set of questions, what mix was most effective. And um, I went on dozens and dozens of interviews with, I probably interviewed with over a hundred people total. So there was a lot of opportunity yeah. to, to test this out. And um, that kind of consolidated and, and culminated rather in the the job offer that I accepted at Microsoft and the ones from Google and Twitter. And that kind of spurred me to start Cultivated Culture. That is a lot. And there's a lot to be for. And I, <laughs> thank you for sharing. I have to go back to the beginning of why tech in the first place for you. Yeah, I think it was because so the main thing for me was that I, I'd always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, okay. After the the dreams of being a doctor went down the drain, um, my my dad was an entrepreneur, and I'd sort of seen him, you know, work from home and have have some flexible hours. And then around the time that I started my first job, and I was really hating life, I was reading books like you know the Four Hour Work Week and stuff like that. And it seemed like all these people had um, one entrepreneurship allowed for the things that I wanted. And then it seemed like digital marketing and and an online business was the way to make that happen in today's world. And so I figured that if I was going to get to that point, I'd want to build up as much experience in the online marketing vertical that I could. Um, and so it was a very obvious path to go from where I was to trying to find jobs at companies that were in online marketing in some capacity and then work my way up to kind of the leaders of that space. Like Google has their AdWords platform, Facebook ads are blowing up these days. Um, and so I, my whole goal was to kind of align my career trajectory to gain as much experience as I possibly could. And then my hope was to land at one of these major companies, get a great salary, and then be able to start something on the side and sort of fund it myself. So I could then get out there and try and fail and learn and test, um, with my own business until, you know, until I hit that point of success where I could take it full time. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, not, it's definitely a great path to go on because it's a lot less risky. <laughs> like if you have a day job and you're doing something on the side, then you inherently, obviously you have a salary continuing on and you can spend those nights and weekends and everything building your business until it's at a point where you can step aside and then go full time into it. It doesn't have to be this inherently huge risk of risking it all. Like maybe you see on movies or TV or anything like that. Uh, seems like the smart way to go. Another question though, like with what you said before, you mentioned kind of mapping out these parameters of your dream job. What did you use or how did you go about that process? Like, did you have books that were helping you through that or how did you do that? So I, I basically, and what I tell people to do when they're trying to figure out what it is they want to do, I think a lot of people get caught in the trap of trying to identify with a job title or an industry. Um, and at the end of the day, I mean, given the choice, I think Gallup just did a survey and they found that like 80% of people were not satisfied with their jobs or not happy at their jobs. And LinkedIn has another survey showing that one in three people are actively looking for new work and nine out of 10 people would consider a new opportunity if it came to them. So the, the bottom line is that we, we really don't love to work. And <laughs> at the end of the day, or most people, um, yeah, right. but I, and I think that be, stems a lot from the type of work that people do, but also the fact that um, the way our society is structured, especially in America here, like you know, 10 days vacation is normal and it's a competition to see who can work the most. And when you're working for, when you feel like you're a cog in a machine working for somebody else, it's, it's not great. Um, and so I think given the choice, people would, would probably, if they got the same paycheck and, and didn't have to work, they would probably not. Um, and they would, they would go do something else that makes sense to them. Um, but I totally forgot your original question. <laughs> the parameters of your dream job. How yes. how do you approach the process? Yeah. Yes, 100%. So the parameters for my dream job um, basically stemmed from this lifestyle that I wanted to create. So instead of saying, you know, I want to be a CPA or I want to be a uh, a consultant or an investment banker or a medical device sales rep. Um, everybody's like, follow your passion, but you, you, nobody really knows what they're passionate about until they do it. I think a lot of people think they're going to get this bolt of lightning in the middle of the night and wake up in a cold sweat and be like, yes, I know <laughs> that biology research is what I've been destined to do. Like that yeah. never happens because you've never tried that thing. It's like, it's like saying that you love creme brulee, but you've never tried it or saying that you hate creme brulee and never tried it. Like you have to actually go and try it before you be, be you like something or you don't like it and you can become passionate about it. Yeah. And so for me, um, rather than tying it to a specific job title that you don't know much about, I recommend that people try to think about the life that they want. So what does your schedule look like? Uh, what, how much flexibility do you have? How much money are you making? Where are you living? Uh, what do your friends look like in terms of not physically, but like, what do they do? What are their ambitions? What are their goals? And when you paint that picture, then you, then you prioritize things as well. So is having a higher salary worth more to you than working from home? Um, is being in a major city like Los Angeles more important to you than being in like Des Moines, Iowa? Like, those things, you prioritize them. And then you go out and find jobs or roles that kind of are in line with what you're looking for. 
So for me, um, I mentioned, you know, one, I wanted to be in a big city because it was a happening place. And I, I'd kind of grown up all over the place, um, but I never really had coming from Wake Forest is a very homogenous community. And um, I think we, we live in a time where uh, that's, that's turning out to be interesting. Um, and so for me, I, I always wanted to embrace other cultures and get out there. And, you know, I wanted to try food from that other place or go to um, like a, not a belly dancing class, but for something like that, where you're experiencing like a brand new culture and you get to soak it all in and you're riding the subway and like Beyonce could be down the car from you. And then there's like a homeless guy sitting next <laughs> to you. Like everybody is all together. Um, and that's yeah. something that I really wanted to experience. So that's where the big city came in. And then for picking the job itself, it was really a product of how do I get enough experience so that I can go and start my own business? And for me, I always saw that, you know, marketing and sales are really what drives a business without, without sales, you don't have a business and the way to get sales when you're a one, one stop shop, one person shop rather, excuse me, um, is to be very good at marketing. And so I knew that if I could figure out a way to do that, um, and gain experience, then that would set me up in a good position to start my own thing. And the, the places to be for marketing are now is it's digital, it's online. And, um, so a lot of these criteria kind of stemmed from me having a vision of what my, my quote unquote dream life would look like if I hit, checked all these boxes. Um, and then I backed into the job from there. So tech was a natural fit making over hundred K. Um, I mean, it's always good to make more money one, but <laughs> when you have a goal of starting a business and being able to fund that business out of your pocket. And, um, I also like to think ahead long term, like I have a savings account for my kids college or, or high school, and we're not planning to have kids for years. So I, I like to plan ahead and, and just be prepared. So having that salary allows me to do it. And then ha having all that happen before the age of 26 kind of ensured that I was pushing myself and challenging myself. So it really came from looking at how my how I wanted my life to look what what I was interested in, not necessarily passionate about, but what I was the most interested in at the time, and then kind of backing into the job and the profession from there. Right. And, and with that, was this like a period of a few weeks, uh, just a day or two of like, kind of like journaling, writing these things down and you just like, how did you go through actually figuring out these different aspects of a, of a dream job? Cause I think a lot of people don't, don't really take the time to do it, but I'm just curious how you approached it. Honestly, the four criteria I came up with happened like in a, in a couple of minutes. Um, I mean, I just sat down, but I, I think it was the product of, mulling this over in my head for months, like if not longer. And, um, yeah. I just was like, you know what, these are the four things that I want. And it may not be that simple for some of the other folks out there. I think one of the best things that you can do is if you're even somewhat curious about a field, uh, just find some people who work in that field. Uh, the best place to start is with an alumni network. If you went to school, um, those people tend to be very receptive and very willing to help. And so if you can find people who are working in different fields, you can hop on the phone with them and you don't have to have like the, the getting a job aspect doesn't have to be part of the conversation. It can purely just be informational learning. And you ask them about what they do, their career path, what they love about their job, what they would improve. Um, and then you can kind of get a sense of how things work. 
And then you can even ask them, you can say like, you know, I love the fact that you do A, B, and C, but I really don't want to be doing X, Y, and Z. Is there another position or role that you're aware of that mainly focuses on on A, B, and C and doesn't involve the other stuff? And then see what they say. And if they yeah. give you a job title or a role or whatever, then you just go out and find those people and talk to them. And it's sort of an iterative process, but especially for people, if, if people are still in school, um, be it grad school or, or undergrad or whatever, uh, there, there's no huge rush. Um, and the more you do this, the more comfortable you'll be with reaching out to strangers and having conversations with a professional context. And that's really going to benefit you down the road when it is time, like the pressure's on and you're like, all right, I need to get a job and I want it to be a great job. And this person has an opening on their team and I, I have to make this one count. You'll have all the practice from reaching out to these other people. Um, and that's, that's really going to go a long way. So the best thing you can do is start today just start reaching out to people and it doesn't have to be crazy. You can just email like one or two people a day and, and see what happens. Yeah. And you mentioned like going through this process of trying to get a job, you did like 300 applications and testing all these different strategies out. So clearly you're very driven on that aspect, which is kind of funny to think about the GPA in college and how that correlates because it doesn't correlate <laughs> at all. Cause clearly you have like the drive and ambition and that type of thing, but maybe you just prioritize differently in college. But, but knowing that you, you learn all these different aspects and things like what do you think people are struggling with most in this kind of job search process? And what are some of the things that maybe you've learned that can help? Definitely. With that? I think the biggest thing that people struggle with is this box of being traditional or, or tactics that everybody else is doing. Um, when, when we're applying for jobs right now, so just to give context, online applications are the number one funnel or channel for for people to kind of try to get their foot in the door to apply for a job. And so we have about 75% of the applicants out there applying for jobs online as their main source of outreach and vying for a new job. But because there's so much competition for the roles that are available, only about 2% of the people who submit an online app are going to get an interview. So the chances are super, super slim. Um, like if I, if I told you, if I was like, Justin, I'll make you a bet, but you have a 2% chance of winning it, like you probably wouldn't take that bet with me. <laughs> the problem is we're right. forced to take this bet. It, or so it seems um, we're taught that we have to take this bet because it's like, quote unquote, the only way to get a job. I remember when I was a, what, the reason I applied to 300 companies is because when I got started, you know, I talked to my parents and I talked to friends that they introduced me to. And I talked to career counselors from Wake and everybody's like, oh, yeah, like you tweak your resume and you tweak your cover letter and then you apply for jobs. And it's a numbers game. And the more jobs you apply for, the better chance you have of of having something stick. And after the first hundred applications, I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. But after 300, they kept telling me apply to more, apply to more. And honestly, I'm like, guys, th there are no more. Like I've, app I've applied to all of them <laughs> and I don't know what else to right. do. So I think the biggest, mis not mistake, but I think it's really, it's a mindset thing. So when we're all talking, like everybody, everybody who's listening to this podcast, everybody who's applying for a job is like a human being and they have their own interests and they have their own ambitions and they have stuff that they like to do at home, regardless of whether anybody's looking or not. Like we all have our weird stuff. 
and we're all human beings and you can't take a human being and put them on an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper with black and white ink, call it a resume and expect to hire like an amazing person. It, it just doesn't work that way. So yeah. what people should be doing is finding ways to break out of that box to, to step out of the confines that basically corporations have set it up this way. Um, it's very easy for them, although they complain about not being able to hire top talent, not being able to fill jobs due to the monster that they created, but it doesn't seem like they're willing to change it, which is actually, it's actually good news for job seekers out there once they figure this out. But it really, really stinks when you don't, you, you haven't read something that's kind of opened, opened up your horizons to, to an alternative way to do this. And you're kind of stuck following the same advice that everybody teaches you. Um, and so basically any chance that you get to, to step outside of that box, you should do it. Um, I'm, you should absolutely apply online to cover your bases, but that should be like a secondary or a tertiary part of your job search. Most of your time should be focused on building relationships with people who can get you hired and creating things that are valuable for those people. Um, so I'll, I'll give a couple of examples, starting with building relationships with the right people. Um, at the end of the day, yeah. like the best person who the best person to spend your time building relationship with is is the person who's going to be sitting in the hiring room with a say in, in the decision and who they pick. So a lot of people make the mistake of reaching out to recruiters and trying to build relationships with recruiters. And the problem with that is one, recruiters are the human form of an online job app. So they get hundreds of emails a day and it's so, so hard to stand out and it requires a lot of time to stand out. But even if you are able to grab their attention and have them advocate for you, their influence ends once you make it into the interview room or on the phone for your first round. After that, they, they can't help you. And so you just spent all this time trying to connect with and build a relationship with somebody who can only impact this process for a very small percentage of the whole journey. But if you go out and find somebody who would be your peer, maybe sitting next to you or your manager, if you got hired, not only can that person refer you into the job, but they can advocate for you throughout the interview process. And then they can advocate for you in the room where the hiring decision is made. And chances are they're not getting bombarded with emails from applicants. So it's going to be a lot easier to grab their attention and stand out and build a relationship with them. So this is really a case of, of it's like an 80-20 rule. Um, these are the 20% of people are, who, are, who are going to give you 80% of your results. So, yep. So if you, can, exactly. if you can find those people and hone in on them, that's a great place to start. And then... Building relationships is is much more of an art than a science. I think everybody is looking for like the networking formula, but I think it's important to understand what networking is not. Net networking isn't going to job fairs or meetups and shaking a bunch of hands and asking people what they do and hoping that they're like, yes, I'll, I'll give you that job because everybody, the person you're hoping will give you a job is hoping that you'll give them a job. And it's a whole, it's just a whole mess. But <laughs> if you really get selective about who you network with networking becomes much much easier because you can think of it like making a new friend um in my case you know i was talking to these people at google and i was working at like this crappy medical device sales company so it was very easy for me to get excited about what these people were doing i thought they were like 
rock stars. They're working for this amazing <laughs> company. It's like the coolest thing ever. And so it was very easy for me to get invested in them. And then on top of that, I think people get stuck on how do I provide value? But value isn't nearly as, it's not as hard as you think. I think a lot of people think you have to come up with this like radical game changing thing that will change this person's life. And now like your best friends and it's, it's a whole deal. It's really a bunch of small wins that, that add up on top of each other. And it starts with small stuff. Like if you can find, if you can do some research on this person ahead of time, maybe look through their Facebook and their LinkedIn and Google their name and try to get a hold of some of the interests that they have. If you can kind of back the conversation into that from the get-go, you immediately bring the the professional barriers down and it's a little bit more personal. And even just having a nice conversation with somebody, I, I don't know, Justin, if you've ever been in this position, but I, I've had plenty of times where the only value I added was that like, we ended up both going skiing at the same place last weekend or like, you know, both of our families ended up being from this small town in upstate New York or something. And then we just kicked it off and were laughing and telling jokes and stuff. And that person was like, man, you're a good kid. Like I'll, I'll refer you in. And like, I didn't, yeah. I didn't do anything crazy. All I did was just try to make a new friend. Um, right. So that's really the best way to look at it. But it's not always that simple. And that's kind of where some of these questions come into play. So if you can tease out some of the biggest challenges that their team is having, um, maybe some new initiatives that are coming up, or even just personal goals and ambitions for the person you're talking to, th those are all great ways to add value. Um, so just to give a couple of examples, one of my favorite ones is um, there's, a, there's a student, her name was Cam. She's in the cultivated culture community and she wanted a job at Airbnb and she had applied online and she'd also even sent out a bunch of emails to all these people and nobody responded to her. So she went and, um, one of the best things you can do if you can't get the info out of the contact is to go find the company's customers. No, nobody's willing to be more, more brutally honest than, than the customer. <laughs> so she went out and, and combed through social media and found all these complaints about Airbnb. And she kind of consolidated all of them and, and analyzed them and found the two most prominent issues. And those were uh, the lack of having a keyword specific search. So like if I'm searching through Airbnb, I can't, I can't type in hot tub in the search filter and only have listings pop up with hot tubs. Like I have to go click through every listing to see if they have a hot tub, which is super cumbersome. Um, and yeah. then the second piece was uh, just the inability to get a hold of their support team. So Cam, she, she screenshotted all these real examples from social media of these people complaining about things. And she put that onto a slide. And then the next slide, she, she basically, or the next couple of slides, she talked through two ideas and she included mock-ups for how Airbnb could include a, a keyword filter in their search and what that would look like and how the results would render. And then she included a bunch of data around live chat and how live chat has helped improve customer retention and satisfaction, but also made more money for the company. And she laid out a couple of platforms and pricing and which one made sense. So she had this 10 slide deck that basically highlighted a problem the company was having, offered up two solutions. She PDF'd it and she sent it back to all the people that she emailed before. And she ended up hearing back from somebody like the next day. And then she was in for an interview, um, I think by the end of the week or, or early the following week. And so that's amazing. Th that's a great example of stepping out of 
the the confines of a resume and an online app. She tried all that stuff and it didn't work. But when she went out and found a creative way to add value and then connected that value with a real individual on the other side who could influence her ability to get hired, uh, that's that's where the magic happens. Yeah, and it's one of those things where hearing that example, it's like, okay, you can go through this traditional process and have a slight chance after hundreds and hundreds of applications or what may seem like more work but actually is not more work of like reaching out to these people, having conversations, seeing where you can potentially add value is going to be a lot faster and a lot, a lot better overall way of actually, one, getting a job and two, even for the future. Because even if you don't work at some of these other companies, I imagine if she, you know, if she works at Airbnb, for instance, and then has these connections she, she built up before that even, then your next job's easier to get to because you already have these other connections. So it, it just perpetuates forward for your career. Yeah, and I'm, I'm actually, I'm so glad that, that you mentioned that, Justin, because I think people perceive it 100% when I, when I walk through the strategy, they're, they're like, that is so much work. But if you think about it from a return on your investment, one, just sitting there and tweaking resumes and cover letters is like probably in the top five, like most excruciatingly boring things that you could probably do with your life. <laughs> it's, it's, it's gotta be up there. And it stinks, right? Yeah, like it's so monotonous. You're like, here's my new job description. All right, I put these keywords in, tweak it up. Nobody's going to get back to me anyway. I don't care anymore. Where's my beer? Blah, blah, blah. But on the other hand, if you get in this process of emailing strangers and having conversations with them and finding ways to add value, that's so transferable to so many different things that the knowledge that you learn is not only going to help you land this next job, but it's going to help you accelerate within that job. And it's going to help you accelerate your career because all of a sudden now, when you show up in this new job and your boss is like, man, we have this problem. You're like, okay, let me go ask them about it. All right. What's the challenge? What have we tried before? What are the limitations? What's our budget to fix it? Um, you know, why haven't we fixed it? Blah, blah, blah. Okay. I got all this info. Let me go build something valuable. Here are some solutions, bring it back. And then the person, all of a sudden, you're now the top performer who's, who is, even if the issue doesn't get solved, like you were the person who did went above and beyond and put in that extra work. And then when the promotion comes around, that's the type of person that they want. Um, or as you go through this and you reach out to more people and you build these connections, uh, it's not going to be so foreign and you're going to be much more efficient at it the next time around when when you want to make a move to a different company um, or ask for yeah. a raise or whatever. Or if you want to start your own business, I mean, one of the most surprising things to me, and I'm sure you've probably run into this too, but the people that you're able to connect with once you get used to sending cold emails to strangers is wild. Like the people that whose books I was reading and whose podcasts I was listening to and whose newsletters I was subscribed to when I was going through my job search, uh, like now I'm on that podcast with them or they're including me in an email to their audience. So like I used to be in the audience and now I'm on the other side simply because I just shot them an email. I, I knew what kind of value yeah. they were looking for and I kind of presented that in in a compelling way. And now like we email back and forth all the time and I get advice from them and it's all because I went through this process. So the ROI that you get from one, it's not actually that much extra work at the end of the day, but the ROI that you get yeah. and from the skills that you learn is like, I mean, I can't even overstate like how, how much greater it is than just like tweaking your resume using these same old techniques that everybody else out there and their mother's using. Yeah. Yeah. And to that point, like, 
to the point of ROI, especially. Like, so if you tweak your resume, let's say you make it perfect and you do get a job, like that's it then. You got the job from the resume. But reaching out to these people, it's just lifelong connections. You just have no idea where that could lead to. And uh, even with the point of like responding to people, like I have an example recently. So do you know who Noah Kagan is? Yeah, employee? absolutely. Yeah. So, but yeah, I'm on his email list and he mentioned being in LA for like a few months or something and any, any suggestions on restaurants. So I just replied to his emails like, yeah, you know, here's a suggestion. Like I also go to USC, you know, if you'd love to, if you want to speak here one day, that'd be great. And he responded to it and like, we're had some back and forth on trying to organize like an event with him coming into USC. And Amazing. just because he responded and try to build a relationship through that. So there's definitely a lot of possibilities that can come from that. You just have to start putting yourself out there and start reaching out to people and then go from there and you'll be fine. A hundred percent. And, and to that point, so I want to get into cultivated culture, the business side of it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, but with that though, I heard you had started other businesses before, like a fishing apparel company and a digital marketing firm. Like take me through your, your entrepreneurial ventures so far. Nice. I don't know how you dug that one up. Um, but, <laughs> <Lots of research. laughs> um, yeah, no. So, I mean, that was like the first ever I, I, being a biology major. Once I knew that kind of my doctoral dreams were, were over, um, I tried to get involved with business in, in college. And so I, I signed up for an entrepreneurship minor. And then I also, they had this like three month summer business accelerator. Um, so you basically, okay. it was for liberal arts majors and, uh, you basically signed up and you would, you would get like a crash course in business. So you took finance and you took accounting and you took marketing and all that stuff. And that got me so energized. And I was like, I, I'm big into, really big into fishing. Um, it's a little a little tough to do in New York and the Hudson doesn't have the, uh, the most appealing stuff. Challenging, yeah. But, um, <laughs> but, I, it, but down south, it was super easy to do. And, and um, it was a big, big part of my life, um, big pastime of mine back then. And so I was like, man, I'll create like all the fishing apparel that's out there is, is like baggy and weird and expensive and so i'll create something that's like a little bit cooler and um, a little bit more modern and so i started doing that but i had no money and i was also like deathly afraid of talking to people that i didn't know um and so like my my dad was kind of helping me with it and he was like oh we'll go find like a an engineering student at wake who knows cad and we'll like mock up some of these drawings and i was like i'm not i'm not talking to an engineering student like, <laughs> no way and yeah and so we we ended up like it got as far as some of these cad designs for we hired somebody to do it and we had a logo and and all that stuff um and then that really fizzled out um i just didn't have the the drive to to keep doing that as a college kid. And I knew it would cost a lot of money and I didn't really want to be indebted to people and that whole thing. So that kind of fell flat on its face. Um, but that was like the first of many. So after that, I, um, one thing I tried to do was create like an app. It's kind of weird after I had the idea, I've heard like seven other people had the same idea and apparently it's, just, <laughs> it's not a thing, but it was, it was going to be like an app that showed you, um, who was going out that night and where they were going. So like very relevant for college kids and also potentially relevant in a big city. Um, so you could see like, instead of texting 20 friends and being like, what are your plans? You could just see who planned to go out that night and then you could hit those people up and then blah, blah, blah. And then while you were out, if you wanted to go meet your friend at a bar, you could see where they were and all this other stuff. Um, so I actually hired somebody to, to build an MVP of that. And I had like the stuff mocked up. 
Um, and then like, right as we were about to get started, I did some research and like two companies with the exact same idea and exact same app launched and they were like funded and all this other stuff. And, um, I was like, all right, there's, I don't think I, with, with my very, with my zero savings and very menial salary, there's, there's no way I'm going to be able to compete with that. So that idea kind of fell by the wayside. And, um, the one that, that did kind of work was actually the one that I used to get my job. So, I, uh, I did start a, I taught myself being with, with my science background and not having any experience in tech. I ended up teaching myself like Google analytics and Google AdWords, um, and online marketing just through some free courses and starting my own blog. It was a music blog. And, um, I, I learned a little bit about SEO and how to get stuff ranked. And I ran like $50 worth of ads a month to it just to see how the platform worked. Um, and then I kind of, took that experience and I pitched it out to as many small businesses as I could find. And eventually, um, some folks in, in real estate bit. Um, and so I, I kind of grew it out from there and I basically generated leads for real estate agents, um, at a fraction of the cost for what they were getting from places like Zillow and Trulia. And, uh, so I, I used that experience. I only had a couple of clients. It wasn't like a good game changing money, but it was additional money on the side. And, I used that to pay down my debt. And then I also used that experience to kind of leverage uh, my abilities when I was applying and, and interviewing at Google and Microsoft, et cetera. Awesome. And you said a music blog was one of the things? Yeah. Uh, comment. Yeah, no, yeah. I was, um, I, I still, music is is like a, a big thing for me. I'm always trying to keep up with the stuff that's going on out there, but much more so in college when you have a, a lot more time to, to do that sort of thing. <laughs> and so this was back when like uh, electronic music was really becoming like a thing and all these blogs were popping up and you could find your new music there. And so I was like, oh, this is cool. Maybe I'll do my own thing. So that's basically what it was like all the music that I'd find, I'd post my favorite tracks on there and then do a little bit of research about the artists and the song. And I'd read a little blurb about it and, that was pretty much the whole site. And I think it maxed out at like, I think like one day, one time it had like a hundred visitors and that was like incredible. Um, but normally it was like <laughs> two a week or something. Yeah. But you just, I, I'm curious, like you have this interest in music and then you decide to do this even from, you're very entrepreneurial, but where does that come from? You're like, Oh yeah, of course I'm just going to start a blog then. Like, where does that, how does that materialize for you? You're just like, you have an idea and just, oh, I'll just do it. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so the, we mentioned like the motivation, not correlating with the GPA. Uh, it's really <laughs> hard for me to get into things that I'm not interested in, but when I am yeah. interested in something, uh, it kind of becomes a bit of a black hole. So it can be anything from entrepreneurship to, God, the, there's so many, so many little things. So like in high, in high school, I, had a summer where I was working at a hospital and I was super bored and I was like, all right, I'll, I'll learn to play the guitar. So I went and bought a cheap guitar and then I spent like all of my free time on forums in practicing like six hours a day and I just got consumed by it. And, um, like most recently, this is a little off the cuff. And again, I, as, as I've mentioned many times, guys, with my two, five GPA, I'm not a doctor, but, uh, fasting is something that's really interesting <laughs> to me. So I, I heard about it on a Tim Ferriss podcast and, um, I did some research on it and they're basically showing that, uh, fasting in, even in healthy individuals, it basically pushes this, this process called, uh, autophagy, autophagy. And, um, basically what that does is it, 
your body breaks down damaged cells and it takes the individual components from those cells and it uses them as building blocks for new healthy cells. And so basically what they found is that in, um, in cancer patients specifically, if people are fasting, they just do a two, three day fast before their chemo treatment. Um, the treatment is much, much more effective and far less destructive. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. And now they're, they're starting to test this out as sort of a preventative measure in people. Um, so that's something that's like, I've gone down the rabbit hole with anyways, a bit of a tangent, <laughs> but, uh, so if I'm interested in something, it's very easy for me to just, I I'm, I'm a big fan of just go take action and yeah. that's good and bad. Like I, I get very impatient and I just start things and sometimes I don't always plan them out, but I think I would rather that's been more, more beneficial than I've seen plenty of people who like to have all their ducks in a row and then they, they never end up getting started. So, yeah, I've seen that over and over again with, uh, with friends of mine or other people you hear of who have an idea and don't do anything. And typically my advice is just get started because if you at least get started and make some type of progress, you'll either figure out if it's the idea is good or not, or you'll stop and that's fine. You know, move to the next thing versus not taking any action and nothing happens or debating it for like a year or two. <laughs> and then just like, what, what have you produced so far? You could have done X, Y, Z things in like three weeks and you've done nothing so far. Um, so I think that's important. And overall, I think it's a net positive to just to, to lean towards just starting something if you're interested in it versus not. So I think it's helpful. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. And it, it's always funny. You get people who have all their ideas and then um, even more so now that like as my site's grown and I've met people, I'm always like, oh yeah, you want to do that? No problem. Like I know a guy who does that. Here's the first three steps to get started. I'll introduce you to him. And then they're all like, oh, whoa, like, no, no, I didn't mean like, I didn't, I didn't actually want to do the work. Like I just had this cool idea and it sounded nice in my head. Um, it's right. just, it just funny, right. but yeah, no, I, I think the best advice is to just take it one step at a time. Like you want to start a music blog, like just figure out how to start a website and then take the next step and the next step. And it's, it's more about bite-sized pieces than trying to figure everything out and execute it in like a week or a month or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And to that point, so you starting cultivated culture, that idea to actually use what you've learned and turn that into a site, a website, how did yeah, that happen? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I think this is for the people out there who are struggling to take action. I think one of the big things is failure, right? People don't want to sink in a bunch of their time and then have something fall flat right. on its face. But what I've found is that anytime I've gone and done something, even if it seemed like a failure at the time, it came back to help down the road. So like the music blog, you know, with my, my whopping probably total of 500 visitors over the course of two years. Um, <laughs> it didn't, you know, it didn't make me a, a billionaire, but what it did teach me was how to set up a website on WordPress and how the platform worked and how to create blog posts and all this stuff. And so uh, doing that for two years, a little bit every day. And now when I graduate or when I uh, got my job at Microsoft, I had a bunch of people coming up to me and being like, Hey, I knew you were terrible at school. Like I know your grades sucked and <laughs> I, I know that you were in medicine and now you're working for Microsoft. Like how did that happen? And so after like the 20th person asked me that, I was like, all right, maybe I'll take some of the stuff that I learned and consolidate it into a blog post because I went out and I did a bunch of, I mean, I, I going through the job process myself, I probably read all of the major articles on all of the topics that you possibly could 
And most of them were focused on the wrong things and the outdated techniques. And the ones that weren't just didn't go deep enough. They would be like, yes, you like network with this person and you'll get a job. And you're like, all right, but like, how? Like, show me more. (laughs) And so I wrote this post out um, because I, I knew how to set up the website. So I set up a basic website on WordPress. And, um, then I just wrote this gigantic post. I think it's like, I don't know, it's like three, 4,000 words. And it basically outlines the whole high level job search philosophy that I have and incorporates a lot of the learnings and it has like very actionable tactics. And I published it and I did some research around how to promote it. And I ended up promoting it. And, uh, basically what happened was about 60,000 people came and saw the post in the first 60 days, which was crazy. Yeah. And, uh, that was, it was going to be my, it it was kind of like my validation test. So I was like, I'm going to write this post. I'm going to give it everything I have. I'm going to follow all these steps that all these experts say to promote your post. I'm going to bust my butt and put in all the work. So I can't say that I didn't give it 110%. And if people like what is written in here, then maybe this is a business. And if not, you know, (laughs) this will be my like fourth failed venture and that's fine. So, You'll yeah. find out. <laughs> and so I, I wrote the thing and I promoted it and people loved it. I got all these replies saying like, thank you. You know, I, I knew there was another way, but I was so fed up with online applications and it felt like a black hole. And I, I just got such a great response from all these people that I was like, okay, maybe we're onto something here. And that's when I really started kind of fleshing out the website. And, um, I think I got my first 500 email subscribers just from that post um, in the first 60 days. And so now I had an email list and, and I would, all of these things that all like the, the, the experts tell you, you should be doing, like they were sort of, these were the beginning stages. It felt monumental at the time. Um, and it, given the time frame, it still is, is kind of cool to think back about, but that sort of validated that this, this idea has legs and maybe I'll run with it and we'll see what happens. And, here we are a couple of years later and it's still, still going. So, and that's, that's incredible. And congrats on that. Cause that, that is a ton of progress, but you can't just say that and not mention some of the details. <laughs> so yeah. I have to dig deeper. Um, like what were some of the things you, you learned about in terms of how to promote that? And I, I listened to this on other podcasts, so I have an yeah. idea, but can you walk us through like what your process was for promoting that and preparing for that to have this huge launch of like, you know, thousands of people. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'd say that by far the most effective thing that I did was um, I'd go out and I'd make a list of the most, like the influencers in the space. And I would use a couple of different metrics. So there's a um, there's a, a site called SimilarWeb, similarweb.com, that will tell you how many visits a, yep. a specific website gets. Um, and then there's this, this thing called Clout, which is, um, it came out like forever ago and it's still hanging around, but basically it's like a consolidated score of somebody's online influence. I don't know if you've if you've heard of it, but I have. Um, yeah, yep. so they have a Chrome extension, and it will basically if you find that person on on Twitter, a little orange blurb will pop up next to their name with their clout score, and so it, it, you can basically assume that somebody with a clout score above like forty five or fifty has like a very very substantial following. Um, so basically what I did was I found all the people that I possibly could in my industry who had a decent amount of traffic going to their site and had a decent clout score. And I tried to find articles that were relevant to what I wrote. And then I would just link to them in the post and I would mention them by name. And um, I even got to the point where I I tried to, I think I crammed like 40 influencers into this post at the beginning. And I had like 
I would write a section and there would be like six people mentioned. I'm like, I can't fit anymore. So I'd have like a related resources section below it and basically have the articles linked there. And then I, so when I published the post, I reached out to all these people and I basically said, you know, Hey, um, I've been a huge fan of your work and been, you know, following along for a couple of years now. I finally, you know, took the leap and started my own thing. I wrote this post on my experience landing jobs at Google and Microsoft, et cetera. Uh, and I linked to you in it. So would love for you to check it out. And if you think it's share worthy, um, I'd really appreciate you spreading the word, but no worries either way, keep creating awesome content. And so I'd send that out to all of the influencers and I was like floored by how many people not, not only responded to me, but were like willing to share the piece. And I think, yeah, I think it really comes down to the number one thing, like the number one thing that I've learned is that the the most important thing for starting a business online is the quality of your content. So there's, there are so many people out there who have just a ton of fluff. They have 500 word blog posts that don't really say anything, or they have a podcast that doesn't like you asked me to dive into the actionable stuff here. Most, most podcast hosts are like, that's cool. Congrats. Next question. And it doesn't really dive into the meat. And so (laughs) the quality of your content, like, like influencers are going to recognize if you have awesome stuff and they didn't get to where they were by not having awesome stuff. And so if one, you have to create something great, it, it can be a blog post, it could be a podcast, a video, it doesn't matter what the medium it is, 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 it just has to be awesome. And then, yeah, so they were all willing to share it. And that ended up, I mean, that got blasted out to like hundreds of thousands of people across social media and email lists and all this stuff. And that's really where the, the majority of the views came from. So that was the, yeah, that was the main yeah, thing I did for, for that post. The other thing that you can do, the an, an extra step, which I added on later was, uh, there's this tool called buzz sumo. So it's B U Z Z sumo.com. And basically you pop in an article, yep. you, you throw in the URL and it will tell you how many social shares it has, but it will also, if you sign up for the free trial, it will, t- it will show you specifically who shared it on Twitter. So then you can, you can basically find all these articles that are similar to yours, similar topic, et cetera. Then you can find all the people who shared them. You can grab their email address and then you email them and basically say, Hey, I, sh- I saw you shared this other article. I wrote something similar, a little bit more in depth. Um, I w- would love it if you check it out, give me some feedback, um, and then share it if you think it's share worthy. And so that's just an additional layer. And, um, typically influencers will, will share each other's posts. So that's just another way to pick up people who have a substantial following um, outside of just including them in your post. <laughs> once you have two, once you have 40 influencers in there and you need to go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. You have other, other strategies from there. I, I'm curious as to where you actually learned some of these strategies from, because I know I've heard of some of these and I think uh, for me, like Neil Patel has a lot of digital marketing strategies yeah. and he's a really smart guy in the industry. Tim Ferriss obviously has uh very unique strategies as well. And if you go back to some of his older stuff, he'll have more tactics, but I'm curious as to where you yeah, kind of definitely. Learn some of these so from. Neil is actually, Neil and Tim are the two people that, uh, Neil, Tim and Ramit Sethi are the three people that I still yeah. follow. I've pretty much unsubscribed and gotten rid of all of the other people that I used to follow mostly because now you get to a certain point where you realize what's fluffy and what's not. And you also don't have time to read a million things a day. So I, I love <laughs> Neil because his SEO stuff is, um, it may not be like the most incredibly granular tactical stuff, but it covers the basics so well that if you, if you follow his advice, yeah. um, 
it's really going to help you. I mean, a, a couple of the tactics that he taught me uh, recently, just this year, took my my site traffic from like eight thousand visitors a month to to about seventy thousand, and that was almost a hundred percent based off of a few of the the posts that he had. Um, so again, it comes down to not just reading wow. it, but but taking action and being willing to experiment a, a little bit. But the one person I'd add in there, um, if if people are already following those folks, is a guy named Brian Harris. So his height, site is uh, videofruit.com. It's kind of a funky name, but um, Yes. Yes. Yeah. So he's awesome. (laughs) And the reason I love Brian is because he gets super, super into the weeds. And his whole thing is his whole thing is teaching people how to build their email list. But what he does is he'll go find somebody who who found this super creative way to build their email list. And then he'll just like tear apart their process and then he'll share it. And a lot of his stuff is free. Um, And so like uh, somebody out there did like a virtual summit. So they did it for book publishing and they made like, it's your classic success story. Like had no money, did the summit, made a hundred grand now lives in the Cayman islands or whatever. Um, but <laughs> Brian went and talked to the guy and basically tore apart his whole process and shared it. And, um, you can see all of the steps and he has the email templates and like the methodology and the scripts. And so it's all right there. You just have to actually go out and and implement it. And so not a lot of people get to that level of granularity, uh, which is, which is what I really, really love. And so also if people are wondering like what really awesome content looks like, Brian is the number one person I'd send them to. Like Neil is really good. But Neil's stuff, I think, requires like he doesn't get as into the weeds as Brian does. And I think Remit has moved away from the he shares a lot of fantastic stuff, but I think it's more for like it's very helpful for taking like the first 10 steps in your 100 step journey. And then after that, you need to kind of go elsewhere to get or pay for one of his courses to get like the super granular tactics. Um, But Brian just straight up shares pretty much everything. Um, so I, I would definitely, for people who are trying to start an online business and are looking to figure out how to promote and build their brand or whatever, I'd sign up for his email list. I'd check out some of his blog posts. And he also has a bunch of free tools that you can use for your website. Um, I actually, I think I use like all of them um, and they're super helpful. Yeah, and there's so many tools to help grow a website and you just learn about more of them over time, especially if you're listening to podcasts. Or like, I will give a shout out to Pat Flynn yep. from Smart Passive Income. He has I've learned a lot from his podcast over the years, and then also to rem- the point of Ramit Sethi. So I actually bought his Zero to Launch course, and there are tons of gems within that. Um, it's one of his premium courses, and I actually bought it like last year, 2017, before going to going to business school. And so I kind of got through that, but then I obviously started business school, <laughs> so that's taking more time. But there there are lots of different resources out there to help you. Uh, the ones you mentioned as well, I'll have to check out Brian Harrison. I've heard of video for just haven't dug into it too much, but um, the other ones as well are, are amazing. So those are those are some great ones for sure that people should definitely check out. Um, and with your business, so I think you had an online course at some point. Do you have, you still have that or is that like yep. a one-time No, I thing? still have it for sure. Um, and so that, that was, okay. the first year was kind of growing the audience to a, a kind of a critical mass. And then year two was figuring out what, what those people would spend money on. Um, so I, I did build out this course, it's called dream job system. And it, it essentially takes everything that I learned, um, across the board and just lays it out in 
very, very granular detail. And it's sort of a step-by-step process. So the goal, the goal was to remove the guesswork and essentially have somebody who is, may not be familiar with this idea of landing jobs through, you know, building connections with strangers and adding value. Um, they can sign up for the course. They start with video one and like, there's no guesswork. You just walk, you watch the video, you do the homework and it basically lays it all out for you. Um, so like if my blog posts are maybe the, the 30,000 foot view DJS is like the, the 500 foot view, um, yeah, so there's a lot of stuff in okay. there and it's still available, but you you have to be part of the email list to sign up for it. So basically people come in, they get about 20 days worth of email and then they get pushed into the course funnel. And and with that, um, so pushed into the course funnel, then where, do, where can people go to actually sign up for email list? Oh, definitely. Um, so the easiest place for, for people who are listening is um, if you just go to cultivatedculture.com forward slash dream job, uh, I, I took, so I, I keep a lot of data on my own personal job search, as well as uh, the the journeys that a lot of the people in my community are going on. And the, the idea is to continue to iterate and test and figure out, you know, what's still working, what's relevant, what new strategies to try. And um, so if you go to cultivatedculture.com forward slash dream job, I have five free strategies that have been the most effective for both myself, but then also the people in my audience. Um, so they basically, I can talk about myself all day, but I think the real testament is uh, like regular people out there who may not think of themselves as like, you know, I, I think when, when you're in a position where you're a podcast host or somebody like myself, people tend to say like, well, you did it, but you're up there and I'm over here and it's not the same. <laughs> not true. Um, all these people who are just ordinary, regular, amazing people, these are the five most effective strategies that have helped get those people hired at Google and Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, um, all without applying online, many of them coming from non-traditional backgrounds. Um, so if people want to go grab those for free, uh, it's cultivatedculture.com forward slash dream job. And then you'll be added to the email list as well. The 20 days of content, I mean, that covers everything. And um, there's a bunch of, we do a bunch of expert interviews. I interview people in the community who have gone out and done it. Um, I talk about a lot of data-driven tactics around creating resumes that actually land results. Um, I mean, it's really all there. And then I'm also happy to answer questions personally. My, my email is austin at cultivatedculture.com. So please, anybody who has questions or anything like that, feel free to email me. Awesome. And I, I just have a couple more questions before we yeah. end this, but uh, I also heard, I think it was on a podcast of yours as well. Um, you, did a, you did a virtual summit at some point. Yep. That, and how, yep. how did that go? Like, how, how did you decide to do that? Yeah. That? So I actually decided to do it after I read that post I, I mentioned. From, I figured. <laughs> but um, to be honest, it, it went it went great in a way that I didn't expect. And it went terribly in the way that I was hoping that it would go. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, if that makes sense. So basically the goal was obviously to drive like millions of people to the email list and make a bunch of money. And cool. um, we had a decent amount of people sign up for it. I think um, I did it twice. So the first time I ran it, there was like a, maybe like six, 700. Um, but then you have to factor in the amount of people that actually show up um, after signing up. And then the second time, I think we had a little over a thousand. So it, it, there was pretty solid numbers. Um, but the real reason it was amazing was because it gave me an excuse to reach out to all these people in my industry who are well above my pay grade. And um, <laughs> I got to sit down with them same as, as you're doing and talk to them for an hour and understand right. their thought process and how they think about this thing. And um, that was amazing and absolutely worth the time. 
Um, but it is, that's probably the most time intensive thing that I've ever done with my business. And I, I don't plan on doing another one soon. So. <laughs> because of that, I assume the, yeah, the time and ROI maybe is not quite the same for the amount of time you actually put into it. There are far uh, easier and- ways to make, to build relationships than to subject yourself to, to 30 <laughs> hours of interviews in like a month. So yeah. That's that's a lot. And, and to that point, <laughs> relationships. I know you also you, your site's been featured in like Forbes and Fast Company and Business Insider. All these. I'm assuming that's from relationships you built. But I'm curious on how do you how you got those features. Yeah, and it's actually less about relationships. Um, so again, this goes back to the point of it's all about creating amazing content. Um, basically, uh, for so I would we we can go through each one, but. The, sure. For Ink and Fast Company, my articles got featured there because um, I used to write on Cure quite a lot. And so I would answer questions there. And it's still, it's a fantastic way to drive traffic to um, to a business or to a site. But it's great because they have all these questions and you can see how many people follow the question. And um, the more, like, it's basically a, a free email list. If you If you write an answer for a question, it gets blasted out to everybody who's following it. So I, yeah. I would go and find questions that had seven, 8,000 followers. And then I would look at the top answers and I would try to write something that was more robust if it was in the same vein, or I would try and write something that was like contrarian. And um, a bunch of those, they ended, I think I only wrote like eight or nine answers uh, total and they, they ended up getting over a million views total. Um, but what happens with Cure is that if your answer does get a lot of traction, they'll feature it in like their daily digest. And then they also have relationships with these sites where they'll publish some of them. Um, so the first two were published via Quora on Inc and Fast Company. Um, okay. And then for Forbes, Forbes was actually relationship driven. So um, a really close buddy of mine, his name's Tyle Roxon, and he, he has a great podcast called As Told by Nomads. If if you're interested in also, Justin, I'm, I'm happy to connect you with him too, because uh, I think he would have a lot of good insights on, on scaling a podcast, but also he's a, a very fascinating person to talk to. Oh, I'd love the connection. I appreciate that. Of course, of course. Um, but yeah, so he, he had written this article for uh, a Forbes column that was basically around, um, I think it's about new grads getting jobs, um, but it's more from the employer's side. So how to hire well out of college. Um, so that was that was a f- the Forbes feature, and that was relationship driven. And then Business Insider came from uh, Medium. So I, I cross post oh, all yeah. of my blog posts to Medium, and Medium's awesome because there's an uh, there's an audience that already lives there. Um, they have people who come to the site, and they're ready to read, and they're ready to engage. Um, and then within Medium itself, they have these publications. So you can you can basically think of them as like, if Medium was a newspaper, they're like the columns or sections within the newspaper. Um, but people follow them individually. So y- you can find like the top publications that have a lot of followers. And I pitch, um, I built some relationships with the, the editors at those uh, at those places. And so I would, I would cross post any of my stuff on my site to medium, and then I would add it to these publications. And it turns out that a lot of, there's a bunch of people from these major publications like Forbes or business insider or whatever, who kind of scan through articles and they look for content to add to the site. So one of the articles I wrote, um, somebody at business insider found it and they reached out to me and they asked if they could cross post it. And of course said yes. And then asked them, you know, (laughs) how can we keep doing this? And so they gave me the name of an editor. And so I would send my articles to her. And then unfortunately she left and I haven't been able to find anybody else. But 
um, it's really all about like the, the best, the best way for anything, like for all of this stuff, the best thing that you can do is write great content and then spend as much time promoting your content as you do writing it. So you can go through the tactics that I mentioned before, um, to get the word out with social shares. Um, SEO is another great thing to do, but that, that takes a long time to kick in. Um, but the more that you can promote your, your posts and get them like write guest posts, cross post stuff, the medium, um, we're talking really only about blog posts and writing here, but the, the more visibility you get behind your writing and your brand, like the more people will see it and the more opportunities will present themselves. Like the, all the publications I mentioned, I got into each of them a very different way. So it's not like I have this like <laughs> special strategy that works every single time. It's really just, I just sit behind my desk and I crank out articles and then I promote them and, and that stuff has kind of fallen into my lap. Yeah. And to that point, I have to ask you, Austin, how do you decide on, you know, I'm going to write, I'm going to do Quora answers versus a meet versus you know, obviously mediums or other articles, or I'm going to write an article. Like how do you manage the process of creation week to week or month to month and guest posting? Yeah, everything? Yeah. No, that's a great question. Um, so I actually recently have gotten rid of everything except for writing content on my own site. Okay. Uh, so SEO is kind of my my informal background, but a, a lot of what I taught myself when I started learning about digital was around SEO. Um, it's really attractive because you can have a million Twitter followers, but unless you're constantly posting on Twitter, you're not going to get more traffic and you're not going to get more followers. Um, and that goes for any social media platform. Um, and then paid ads is, you know, as soon as the money stops flowing, then the ads stop flowing and the traffic stops. But SEO, if you can figure it out, that's an evergreen source of recurring traffic. And so that was really interesting to me. But SEO is, it's very complicated yeah. and <laughs> it takes a long time for results to build. So you, when you're first starting out, you're you're probably not going to rank for anything unless it's like a super, what SEO is called long tail, but essentially if it's like a very, very specific niche query, like, um, I don't know, like podcast called just go grind coming from USC, like right, you might right. rank for number one for that. But if you're going to rank for like best business podcasts, that's going to be much tougher when you're just starting out. And so it does take time to kind of build up your site authority, but now that mine's in a good place, basically what I've done is pushed everything off to the side. I just write articles for my site. And um, essentially what I do is I go, I look at, I, I type in a keyword for something that I know my audience is interested in. So, you know, like I just wrote one on phone interview tips and uh, I'll go look at the top 10 results on Google and I'll look at the quality of their content and how long it is and what they wrote about. And then I'll basically try and, write something that's 300% better. So I'll try and write it so it's three times longer. So it includes everything they have. And then 200% more, more images, more videos, more resources, more tips, more tactics. And basically Google is just looking to, it's all about user experience. Google wants a user to search for something and immediately find the most relevant and helpful result. And so if you pack everything you possibly can into one post, one place, um, Google's going to recognize that and their algorithm is like insanely smart at this point. And so y- you can rank for a lot of those terms just by having like, sub- like far superior content. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of aspects on the technical side, um, that you have to be aware of that I, I kind of spend the rest of my time on, but 
for me, I try to write at least one article a week. That's, that's kind of the goal in my breaking that down. I found that it's helpful to do it daily. So I started by writing 500 words a day. Um, and now I've bumped that up to 750. So basically I just try to crank out 750 at a, at a bare minimum on a daily basis. Okay. And I think that's very helpful. I heard also other people like, yeah, a thousand words a day type of thing. And I've mm-hmm. at times done that before, especially when I was growing, growing Just Go Fitness. And to your point of SEO, you know, the traffic keeps coming there. So Just Go Fitness is a site I haven't really used uh, much as, as transitioning into business school and other things. And that still gets, you know, five or 6,000 visitors a month <laughs> because of SEO. Mm-hmm. So that's, something that's definitely very much so worthwhile. Uh, and one of the things with your business I have to mention is like the giving back part. I saw on your website, like you're donating like 5% of gross profits to change the equation and also Oceana. Like how did you decide to do that and why those organizations? Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely a great question. I think for me, giving back is really important um, for a number of reasons. But I think that I truly think that the best way to kind of receive is, is to, to give in the first place. Um, and that's true with everything that I've done. Um, e- even in business, people are like, when I started my thing and, you know, I'm giving all these, cause the number one piece of pushback I usually get from people who don't really understand is like, why are you giving away all this information for free? <laughs> and yep. what people miss is that it's building trust and it's proving out that, this stuff works and there's so many other facets that people don't necessarily see but in every facet like not just business but in my personal life and all that i found that when i you know when you go out and you give and you do something good um one you're making a difference in other people's lives but then it also it's very fulfilling to me um and so the the couple things that i'm passionate about um i figured that i would pick one that that did help other people um and that that was changed the equation so actually you you caught me nobody nobody's asked me about this recently and i've I've been in the process of finding another um organization because it looks like change the equation actually isn't around anymore it was uh an obama initiative and um so things have obviously changed and now their their site redirects to a, a different place so basically what they did was their goal was to um basically increase the amount of education and opportunity available for uh, just underprivileged kids in the STEM field, but also leaning towards minorities and um, women. And basically they would just try to give them resources. Um, So computers in schools, um, more robust courses in the curriculum, uh, opportunities, extracurricular opportunities for kids to go learn how to, how to code or why technology is important or how science is making a difference. Um, so that was really important to me because I do think STEM is really the, like everything, the, the way our, our, our world across the board is going, STEM is driving that. So, you know, increasing the longevity of, of the human race and building technology that makes things easier. Um, that's, that's all coming from the STEM field. So that's really important to me. And then, um, Oceana is really important to me because as I mentioned, you know, fishing was a big part of of my life. And, um, you know, I love going to the beach. I love the ocean and it's just sad what's happening now. Like the ocean is being taken for granted big time. I mean, there's so many crazy facts. Like you hear about the, the Island of trash. That's like the size of France or, or twice the size of Texas, um, that's floating out in the Pacific. Um, but then it also comes back to us, like all the toxic stuff that we dump in the ocean fish that gets into, 
like fish eat it and they absorb it and it gets in their meat and then we end up eating it and it's bad for us. Um, not to mention that like we're almost fished out of, of some species here. Um, so this is just kind of my, my way of, of doing my part right now. Like I, my goal eventually down the road is to give back more with my time. Um, but with the full-time job and growing cultivated culture, the best, the best that I can do right now is, is donate money. So that's, um, that's why it's in, it's a core part of, and then also people signing up for the course are making a difference whether they know it or not. So that's, that's kind of where that right. stemmed from. Yeah. And I think, I think that's awesome that you're doing that. I think especially just having that mindset of giving back however you can, whether it be financially, whether it be with your time, I think it's important because we all had help along the way. And if we make it things better, like it's just one of those things that you just, it's just good to do. Like, it's just the right thing to do. As Gary Vaynerchuk would mm-hmm. say, it's just do the right thing. Um, and, and to that point, the last thing I just want to ask you is like, what's next for you with, with your career and cultivated culture? What, what's next? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, things are kind of in, in an interesting place now, for sure. Um, there's a lot going on at Microsoft. There's been a lot of, uh, really good changes actually with our team and the structure and stuff like that. So there's some opportunities there that I'm looking into. Um, and then with cultivated culture, um, really more of the same. So the two main things that I'm trying to do are one double down on the SEO. So I'm, I am, I've been sitting at that 500 word limit for a while and I just upped it to 750. And my goal is to kind of keep upping that to crank out as, as much content as I possibly can and get it ranked. Um, but then the second piece is really focusing in on, on building deeper relationships and being a bit more active with the community itself. Um, so like last night, actually, we just did a live resume review where I had a bunch of people submit resumes from the community. I picked out two, they, they hopped on a call with me. We invited everybody from the community. Um, and I think at one point we had like, we maxed out the Google hangout and, um, we had like a, a bit of a line, but people would, they came, showed up, we reviewed the resumes, we answered some questions. Um, and it's, it's just really awesome to like when you're sitting behind your computer and writing and it's all just you and it's kind of lonely, like you lose sight a little bit, <laughs> but then when you like get in this environment where all these people are showing up, cause like, because of this thing you created, um, it's really, really energizing. But on top of that, it makes it a little bit more human. Like I, one of the, one of my biggest pet peeves is these online businesses that make it seem like you know, I, I have this mansion or like I did all these things and like you too could be so lucky to learn from me. So you could, you could do it yourself. Um, and then it's all like an automated drip sequence with like pre-recorded videos and all that stuff. And if they're valuable, that's great. But I think the big thing that a lot of these people are missing is just really connecting with the audience. Like to me, like everybody in my audience is like, they, they're, they're where I was a couple of years ago. They like, they're just looking for that little bit of an edge that will take them to the next level so that they can be the person that they dream about being every night when they go to bed. Um, and so just right. interacting with them and talking to them one-on-one is something that's really important to me and something that I'm making a, a larger priority uh, moving forward. So those are happening monthly. If people do end up signing up for the email list, we're going to do resume reviews. We're also going to do Q and A's. Um, so a little bit more open, but basically just show up, ask burning questions. I'll answer them for an hour and then we'll do it again the next month. Um, so yeah, those, those two things. And then there should be a lot more content coming out that, um, that hopefully will answer some of the big questions that, that the content on the blog currently does not. Awesome. That's exciting. And where should people go? I know we mentioned earlier, uh, if you want to just reiterate, like where should people go to find out about you, your site, learn more about everything? You yeah, do? definitely. Um, so again, people are, you're always 
you're always welcome to email me. Um, I, I respond to, to everything that comes through. So it's, it's Austin at cultivatedculture.com. And then if you do want to get the, the strategies I mentioned before, um, you can find them at cultivatedculture.com forward slash dream job. And that will also sign you up for the email list. So you'll get all the emails about when those resume reviews are happening. Um, any other big initiatives that are going on and, uh, along with like about 30 days of, of the best advice that I have to offer. So hopefully we'll see you there. Um, but if not, just go grind is a great place to, uh, to take your life to the next level too. And we'll link to everything as well in the show notes, just go grind.com slash podcast. Austin, thank you so much for coming on. This was awesome. So many things we went through. I have even more questions, maybe a round two, maybe an order at some point, but thank you so much. For the Definitely time. Justin. No problem. I'm, I'm looking forward to round two. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. As always, the show notes are over at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And you can support the show over at patreon.com slash justgogrind. And please, please leave a rating and review over on iTunes. It does help more people find the show. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Have a great day.